Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by The Ingler. In this week's episode, we'll explore the role that the arts play in building resilience in communities. Then we'll talk with Toby Parks and Thomas Coots, who are arts workers and business partners based in Des Moines. We'll also get to hear from Christy Hartsgrove-Morris regarding her best show ever. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. This episode is supported in part by Goodfellow Printing, a premier sponsor of the Inglert Theater. Goodfellow Printing is a full-service printing company with more than 70 years of experience serving our community through printing services and support of the arts. Visit Goodfellow Printing at 408 Highland Court in Iowa City or send an email to bob at goodfellowprinting.com for all of your printing needs. In the era of hashtag quarantine, for many there's been a notable increase in free time. Some are picking up new hobbies at home, learning to garden or cook, watching lots of movies on Netflix, and many are turning to books. In fact, a CNBC study found that from early March, pre-shutdown, to early April, mid-shutdown, there was a 777% increase in book purchases. That's possible some of those were panic purchases that weren't cracked open more than once. Uh, I've got a few of those lying around, not going to lie. But it's also very possible that later down the line, we'll see a significant spike in overall readership in the U.S. for this time period. And maybe that's the turnaround the lit world has been looking for. For several decades now, there have been prominent collective shifts in reading habits within the U.S., and most of them aren't pretty. (laughs) According to Statista, the average daily time spent reading per capita in the U.S. dropped from 32 minutes in 2015 to 26 minutes in 2019. A six-minute difference for, you know, one person a day may seem like peanuts, but that's almost a 20% overall decrease. Statista also notes that 20 to 24-year-olds are the lowest daily readership, um, which, ouch, Statista, did you really have to come at me like that? Uh, But in defense of my age group, data shows that readership is down in all age groups. Now, when we're looking at strictly reading for pleasure, the numbers are even more grim. The American Time Use Survey indicates that the number of Americans who read for pleasure on a given day has fallen more than 30% since 2004. That's literature we're talking about here. In fact, a report from the National Endowment for the Arts found us at a three-decade low in 2015 regarding the consumption of novels, short stories, poetry, and plays. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to conclude that with the advent of television, video games, the internet, there are a lot of other flashy, attractive alternatives that have drawn us away from reading in our free time. That same study I mentioned earlier, the Time Study, um, clocks the average American at 2.81 hours of daily television. That's over five times the average time spent reading. And listen, I love binging RuPaul's Drag Race while scrolling through Twitter as much as the next guy, but the discrepancies between what TV watching and reading can do for your physical and mental health is low-key, high-key, extreme. To pinpoint a few, reading is a highly efficient way to reduce stress, whereas TV has been shown to amplify stress. Uh, Boy, howdy, do we have enough stress to go around these days. Um, Researchers at the University of Sussex even found that just six minutes of reading can reduce stress levels by 68%. Reading also improves concentration, whereas passive screen time can inhibit it. 
Reading makes you more empathetic towards others, especially when you're fully immersed in a story. Now's an excellent time for empathy. Binge watching is linked to mindless eating, particularly of unhealthy foods. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, as you're confronting that Friday night free time that used to be reserved for going out to dinner and drinks with friends or whatever you love to do pre-pandemic, maybe reach for a book instead of the remote or the endless scroll. Besides, we're in a city of literature. Let's hashtag keep the lit alive. <laughs> and that's art news. Together, Toby Parks and Thomas Kuntz run Station One Records, a Des Moines-based nonprofit label that provides Iowa musicians with the resources they need to build sustainable careers in music, while also providing educational resources for low-income neighborhoods in the area. In the latter half of 2019, the duo also opened XBK, a 200-cap venue in the Dogtown Drake neighborhood in Des Moines. They're also both great musicians in their own right and often play with Station One artist and previous Best Show Ever guest, Lily Detay. So I want to kick it off. You opened a music venue in Des Moines called XBK. What, what went into making that happen and how did you feel when it finally came together and you opened the doors? <laughs> the, first, the first show I ever promoted was uh, in a cornfield behind my parents' house at the age of 16 on the, oh. the back of a flatbed. Um, like, that that's my street cred, cornfield. <laughs> Sounds good um, to me. But, uh, you know, all through, through college and then uh, working through law school and then uh, getting more involved in the music scene as an entertainment attorney and working with Station One Records, it was always a dream that was kind of on the periphery. And so many conversations would start or end with, man, if we just had just, just like a little 200 cap room, mm. something that we could do. Uh, and so uh, when Toby really started getting serious about it, and uh, I realized that this was actually something that, that we could potentially pull off, um, we both just kind of dove in went for it like the, the opportunity arose and suddenly there was no looking back like this is what was going to happen mm. um and that was that was one of the highlights for me of moving to des moines was just having that that drive and that initiative thrown out there and watching the dream kind of come together was you can't really describe the feeling it was um mm. the first time we walked through the doors and the bar was done the stage was up it felt like home like it was such an mm. just a comfortable encompassing feeling to the point now where I, I just like if i'm having a bad day i just walk over and i just sit there for about 10 minutes and be like oh we did this all yeah. right now i can go back to it this is all right yeah and i think that was the thing of it took us, what, Tom, almost three years to get through the process of acquiring the building to getting through all the zoning issues we had to go through to getting all the financing together to get, you know, all the stages that we had to get through. It was about three years. So by the time we opened the doors, we felt like, oh, we accomplished this. And then suddenly it was like, oh, but wait a minute. Now uh, we have to yeah. run it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not over yet. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so just making it to, you know, just getting the, the thing open was, you know, a journey in and of itself and felt like an accomplishment. So everything on top of that is just cake, you know, but yeah, no, it's been great. And we're coming up on our anniversary, actually, our, our opening day was mm-hmm. September 20th of 2019. And we will not be open by then. And, you know, that means that we will have been closed longer yeah. than we were actually open. Yeah, um, which is insane. I I just can't even like fathom. I mean, how heartbreaking it has to be that you've you worked for three years and I mean, really built up to this your entire lives, basically. And then six months into it, it's like got to close the doors. Do you feel like you're adjusting or do, does the the pain of not being able to do what you set out? to do it is that persisting i think we've kind of fallen into getting used to it and sort of shifting our focus in some ways you know um like we're thinking about like you know i should kind of start back about kind of the idea of xbk um you know it is a physical space but i think you know tom and i have both had this idea of it being something bigger you know i mean it's it's called you know the building is called xbk the company is, you know, XBK Live. And, you know, the hope is to build out other things that, you know, other types of programming Mm -hmm. that can be housed in that building. And so, you know, we've just kind of started shifting focus to some of that stuff, some of the programming that is going to take place in the building. And it may not physically have people there. Um, You know, so we've put in some investment in, you know, some really great live streaming gear. We're making some upgrades to the infrastructure of the building. Um, you know, people aren't going to recognize it when they come. I mean, they will recognize it, but it'll be, you know, there are some really great upgrades that we're putting in right now um, in this downtime. And it allowed us, you know, and I think that every business owner will probably tell you the lead up to opening is insanity. Mm-hmm. And ours was no different than that. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that we didn't, that we had hoped to do that we just hadn't didn't hadn't had the time to get there. And now we have the time to really kind of go back and relaunch our our venue in some ways. Um, so, you know, there's that piece. And then the other part is we've been incredibly active with the right. National Independent Venue Association, which, you know, this pandemic has been horrible in so many ways, but there's been also a lot of really great stuff that's come out of it. And I think Neva is one of those things and the camaraderie that's happened. This is the first time in history that independent venues from across the nation have come together to collaborate to save Mm -hmm. this industry. And, you know, the fact that, you know, I am now tied in, we as XBK are tied into this network and I can, you know, count Dana Frank that owns First Avenue as a friend um, is a huge thing for us because we're new to this. And to now have this network of people that we can go to and say, hey, have you ever had this experience before? Can we get some help? You know, before it was, you know, Tom and I kind of muddling in the dark a little bit or, you know, we would talk to, you know, the people that we know here in our market. But, you know, a lot of the spaces and the places of the people that we talk to, a lot of these venues are not that old, you know. Um, and so to be able to talk to folks that own like the 930 club out in, in DC or world cafe in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. or first Ave or the Troubadour out in LA, um, to be able to count all of those venues and people as part of our network has been incredible. So that has been an amazing Mm -hmm. thing that's come out of it. The, one of the little silver linings, um, 
uh, alongside of uh, Neva and the development of small and independent venue coalition of sorts is this really has forced these small and independent venues like ours to embrace modernization. You know, we're looking at a complete turn in how the industry is going to run for at least the next few years, potentially the rest of time. Uh, It's, we need to diversify in our programming. We need to be able to offer services and um, uh, uh, utilities above and beyond just putting on a live show. Live streaming Mm -hmm. is going to be a big part of that. Emerging technologies like augmented reality concerts, uh, audience integration through virtual reality, stuff like that. And this is all stuff that we're capable of doing now because we've had a little bit of time to upgrade our infrastructure, get better internet in, um, get the cameras and lights and things situated and operated in such a way that we didn't have to take you know, and closed down for three months when we could have been booking shows because we just have had six months where we couldn't book shows by someone else's decree. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you have to make the most of this time. And I think you're going to see an amazing modernization, uh, especially in the smaller and independent venues. And it's, it's going to be a whole new lease on the live entertainment industry. So that's what I'm really excited to see moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I also, you know, to Tom's point, I think that there's a lot of exciting things that are coming out of it. But I also want to emphasize that, you know, nothing replaces the feeling of being in a room with your best friends, watching your favorite artist up on a stage. You know, that's it all comes down to that. And all of these things that we're talking about, you know, live streaming is awesome. And a lot of these other sort of I mean, we get really excited about it from a creative perspective. You know, it's really interesting to think about doing an augmented reality thing where people can be kind of at the venue, but not at the venue and like all these things. But, you know, from the nuts and bolts of the way that the live industry works and the business part, um, you know, for us, we have to have our doors open. You know, that's where the money really comes from, you know, and until, you know, we as, as creatives and we as create tours, can create a lot of avenues to offer content. Um, I think our industry is still trying to figure out how to emphasize to the public um, the value of that, right? So, you know, people aren't ready to pay $25 for a live stream yet, you know? Um, So, you know, for us, it's still like nothing, nothing replaces that experience that we're missing right now. And so until venues can be in a place where we're operating at full capacity again, Um, it's going to be a real struggle. Like we can do a lot of these really cool things, but it's not, you know, it's not going to replace, um, you know, what we need to get to is operating at full capacity with people shoulder to shoulder, sweating, watching their favorite band. Um, and you know, just having that experience because nothing replaces that. Are you optimistic that beyond this pandemic, independent venues and artists will be able to continue to make a living? Yes. <laughs> the, uh, um, I believe that there will always be a market for, for live entertainment. And even though the focuses may shift and what that looks like may take on different turns and different phases, nothing is ever going to replace that cathartic experience of being in a room with, you know, 200 of your best friends experiencing uh, 
major event, but uh, we'll find a way and artists will find a way to continue to develop this structure. You know, the main moneymaker uh, and the driver for a lot of particularly younger and emerging artists has been live shows. Yeah. Um, if there's no live shows, where do we find those additional revenue streams? Does it go back to the model from 50, 60 years ago where it was the album cycle and the live show was a promotion for the album? Well, we got to start talking about royalties then, you know, yeah. that's, that's a whole other conversation that we need to have. Um, it will come around. We, and Neva is probably going to be a big driver in this because of the, the footing that they've been able to establish. Um, I just don't know if we know what that looks like yet. Um, and, and I think if you want to see what that looks like, we need to start talking to our, our, our younger industry friends and younger musicians the the folks that are 18 20 years old right now because they're going to know a lot more about what the future holds than you know toby and i at this point well and i think that you know it's complicated right like you know the music industry has been able to morph and change over time it always has it always tries to you know it, it always meets mm. the moment somehow yeah. sometimes delayed but it always meets the moment um, but, you know, I think that the problem is when we look at, you know, the statistic that you mentioned that, you know, 90% of venues, um, potentially could close. And, you know, that was done, you know, that study was started at the beginning of the pandemic and it said within six months, yeah. well, we're at that line right now, you know, and there are a lot of venues that are just holding on by a thread to get to where we are now. And I think over the course of the next couple of months, if something doesn't happen with our federal government and giving assistance to our industry, you're going to see a ton of venues die. And that doesn't turn yeah. around quickly. You know, even though young artists might be able to adapt and do things that are online and, you know, unfortunately the thing about being online is that you're online with everybody. Um, and how do you break through that, you know, as opposed to when you're in a live venue and you're in a setting and you're playing in front of, you know, whether it's 20 people or 200 people, you're touching those mm -hmm. people in that moment. And without having that network of independent venues across the country, if we have enough of them fall away, you know, it, it's not going to impact, say, I mean, it's going to impact the bigger cities, yes. Um, but I think that the cities that are going to suffer most if we start seeing these independent venues fall down will be smaller markets like Des Moines or Iowa City. Because if there's not a way for an artist to get from New York or L.A. to get through the Midwest, we're mm. not we're not going to see those acts come through Des Moines. You know, if there's not a stop for them in Chicago or there's not a stop for Minneapolis or Milwaukee, um, they're yeah. never getting here. <laughs> And that is, that's what, what scares me. And yes, it'll come back. Um, but it might be a decade before because this industry and, you know, Tom and I experienced it firsthand. It took us three years just to get our doors open. And that was after, you know, we had acquired the building and three years from that point to get the doors open, you know? So, and that's not uncommon because one, as we can see, this is not a huge margin industry. It's not like people open music venues because they're going right. to line their pockets with cash. They start music venues because they yeah. love seeing live music. You know, the margins in this business are, you know, incredibly small. It's a risky trade, as we've seen. Um, 
And, you know, one of the problems with getting the doors open to XBK was getting the funding to be able to buy a building, but then getting from that to getting the doors open was a whole other echelon of, you know, going to banks and having doors shut in our face because it was like, well, you know, people don't understand that venues are different than bars, Mm -hmm. at least in some places. Um, And bars are incredibly risky and banks don't Mm -hmm. want to invest in those and they don't want to invest in venues. And so you have to find a network of private people to try and help put these things up. And so it takes a long time is my point. Are you concerned that there's potential on the other side of this, of music venues becoming more of a monopolistic kind of like, I remember seeing an article early on that was like, you know, Live Nation's going to come out on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. What what would that mean if it if if there's less independent venues? I mean, I think that there are. I mean, you know, Neva is made up of a collection of people who are fiercely mm-hmm. independent humans. You know, that's why we got into this business. Um, but you know, there's also you know all of us. What makes us independent venues is also all of our venues are financed and all of our personal assets are on the line. You know, this isn't something that, you know, we don't have investors or backers or corporate stockholders or whatever. Um, You know, it's, it's my name that is on, you know, the loan that allowed us to get our sound system and all of those things. So if we go down, so does, you know, everything that, you know, it's me filing bankruptcy. Um, And I think that, you know, there will come a point in time that I think that there are people who will say, you know what, I'm not going to flush myself down the drain. You know, if it is, if it means between me losing my home or selling out to Live Nation and, you know, I can at least walk away with, you know, with Mm -hmm. minimal debt um, and I'll do it. And then suddenly everything becomes, you know, the, you know, what is it? Rock and roll (laughs) cafe or whatever. Uh, yeah, rock cafe. that's what it is. I say, you know, um, and so I think that that is going to be a hard, it's going to be a hard choice for a lot of people to make. And I can tell you that anybody who owns an independent venue, no one wants to make that yeah. choice unless you're in a, a situation to where you are forced to. Um, and yeah, I think that that will be really frightening to have the sort of commodification of independence, you know, like you can have Live Nation go in and, you know, it may still have the exterior and I'm not saying XBK is selling out yeah. the Live Nation by any means, but I'm going to say, you know, it might have the exterior of XBK, but the inside is still the same kind of cookie cutter corporate, whatever it is that they hand down. And that's, that's going to be yeah. really hard, but I, I I expect to see it. I expect to see it probably over the course of the next six months, because if if there's not help and there's not aid, people are going to start looking at how they save their house and their family. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the ways that that might happen. Toby and Thomas, thank you so much. Everyone listening, um, Station One Records, XBK Music, Venue in Des Moines, go look them up. The work they're doing is incredible. And like we mentioned, um, go to niva.org, um, you know, write to your, it, they make it so easy. It takes less than a minute. It takes less than a minute. You could tweet at them. They'll tweet at them for you. It'll send them a message. It's so easy. Go save our stages. Thank you so much for, for talking with us today. 
Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ellie. Coming up next, we'll hear about Christy Hardsgrove Morris's best show ever. We'll also talk about what teaching and performing theater is like amidst a pandemic. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Since 2012, the Downtown District has forged an exciting and deliberate path to solidify downtown Iowa City as a progressive, healthy, and culturally vibrant urban center of the region. To learn more about their mission, current initiatives, and events, go to downtowniowacity.com or follow them on social media. Christy Hartsgrove Moores is a beloved local actor and theater instructor for the University of Iowa and Theater Cedar Rapids. She's worked with many theater groups in the area, including Riverside Theater, Iowa Summer Repertory, Working Group Theater, and the Old Creamery Theater, among others. Christy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I want to first off say I am a fan. Um, I did get to see you. You were in the university's production of The Wolves. Yeah. Right? Yes. You played like a soccer mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, that performance was definitely one of like distinct moments in my life where I'm like, wow, oh. acting is real. Like you had to give a very like intense, emotional performance. And I remember looking like I was sort of sitting across from where everyone else was because I was taking pictures. And I just look over and there's a bunch of high school students and they're all crying. It oh. was it was so powerful. Everyone was crying. Um, so yeah, I, I have to say first off, um, I'm a big fan. Oh, and it's so you. cool. I think it's so cool that as a teacher, you have the opportunity to work and act alongside your students and share that intimate experience with them. I feel like that's probably a little bit unique to like arts sort of um, situations, but I, yeah, I think that's so cool. Um, what, what does teaching look like right now for you? I'm guessing there's a little bit less of that going on. It is so weird. I am just going to not even try and pretend it is so oh, strange to do this over zoom, but one thing that I was not expecting, because I was like, oh, everybody's going to hate online school. They're not, they didn't sign up for this. This isn't what they wanted. But because of the fact that I think they're so starved for like human communication and like <laughs> mm. <laughs> something to that, do, yeah. times are so hard right now, like you have their focus, like you have their mm. attention. And so it's really just a matter of figuring out how to get them all working together, despite the fact that they're all in these different little Zoom boxes. And it's more possible than you would think it is, but it's still, it's a constant, I'm like constantly retooling and rethinking and, oh, you know, we could, do, we could use this breakout rooms for this. And we could, you know, like that kind of stuff to try try and, and kind of more elegantly use the technology than just like have it, everybody turn on their cameras mm. and then be like, glitch, 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 you know? So, yeah. but, but it's, it's got some good things about it. That's for sure. But I mean, I cannot wait to be back in person. That's, right. that's I, the <laughs> I can attest to the, like being starved for for the social interaction when we have our meetings for the angler i'm always like do you guys just want to like stay on and hang out for a while or just talk or <laughs> like this is a you know just uh have a drink or <laughs> it's so, so true. I, know, I know how that i know how that can be you do what you can you know when the physical spaces are gone you know yeah. you have to sort of you gotta 
improv. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of improv, <laughs> um, so a lot of your classes um, seem to be oriented around using acting techniques for, uh, you know, practical life, you know, um, giving a business presentation, interviewing for a job, uh, brainstorming. What is it about acting that can improve the working and living lives of of non-performers? Yeah, it's, you know, there's like a whole field and it's called applied drama as opposed to applied theater, which is for making art. Applied drama mm. is just for creative, creating community. And um, I think a lot of times we haven't done this kind of essential little step in order to invite everybody into the room that's actually there. Like um, as a teacher, for example, when I first started teaching acting, like I've always wanted to act. There's never been a time where I knew what acting was and didn't want to get on stage. There are a lot of people who are not wired up like that and they need a fine Mm -hmm. arts credit and they are taking this class for that reason and would otherwise rather die. And so I have to figure out (laughs) how to bread from them through like that process of realizing like, oh, this isn't the worst thing in the world. This is actually really joyful and I can do this and it's worth doing, you know, like all these little moments that for me were just like, I'm on, I'm, I'm. I bought it. I want it. This is it. I have to get them mm-hmm. there by degrees. And so a lot of applied drama games will do exactly that because they sort of get all the geese flying in a V and they get everybody to feel seen and comfortable and like they're okay being vulnerable in the space. And then you can get the best out of them in terms of performance or in just in terms of communication with one another. But I feel like that's that's been the the real joy is like figuring out like, oh, I can actually use my theater training to help people that will never be on stage. I don't want to be on stage, but they'll see mm-hmm. the purpose of this and they'll feel the joy in this and, and they will get good use out of it. So that's what a lot of my classes are kind of based around. Right. I have... Um many friends who have taken uh, possibly even your class, but who, who aren't <laughs> theater people, um, you know, maybe they're communications or business major or, or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of the stories that I hear um, when they come out of these um, are about kind of like really intense connections with their classmates and like, I mean, the stories I'll hear of like a performance that their classmate gave and like how everyone reacted after and like came together, you know, there's a lot of like real emotional things that are happening in those classes. Yeah. And I think that's just like exactly what the world needs right now, quite frankly. But (laughs) are there any performances you're working on right now that you have on the docket or is it mostly like just teaching Um, Well, a friend of mine has this thing called the Quarantine Play Series on Facebook. And so I've read a bunch of those. And we have one coming up called The Niceties. I'm not sure when we're going to do it, but that is a spicy meatball. We just read the show. Like it's not any, it's not produced or anything like that, but it's really, it's really good. It's really fun. Um, So I've been doing that. Um, But yeah, so far, so far this semester, that's pretty much everything. I think I'm, I think I'm going to be in the SPT show coming up in, uh, I think December, I think we're going to film it in November and then it's going to be aired in December, but it's been moved a couple of times. So I don't want to say like, for sure, guys, this is happening. Cause I'm like, it depends. The pandemic makes everything crazy. So 
Yeah, there's definitely that seems to be where everyone's at right now. Like just patient, <laughs> have some leeway. <laughs> so we are going to move into the best show ever performance. Um, as I was researching and trying to learn more about you, I came across an article where you were asked to give a list of your five favorite performances and <gasps> you're sort of <laughs> you're like intro for the article was a, this monologue about basically how cruel it is to ask you to make this list. Um, you, you say you're going to be gnawed with guilt and remorse. I reject uh, guilt and remorse and list because you are um, sub subsumed in a hellish round delay where no one is sleeping, only fretting and regrets. <laughs> I was very emotional like, that day. Oh, I was going oh. through some things. <laughs> I was like, well, we're asking for one. How is she going to feel about that? <laughs> um, so always, you can't not leave out an amazing show. You know what I mean? Like, there's just always, right there's so many good shows. How do you say the ones? So I have one. I have one that I can say that I saw at the Englert that was wonderful. Can I go? Cause should I say it? All right. I think I, I was going to say we for special for you. If you need to say a couple, we allow, cause I'll be the first, I will be the first to say that the question is absurd to pick one, <laughs> but that's part of the challenge. You know, it's kind of fun, but it is, it is a, um, it, it's a savage question to ask people. It's savage. It's so hard. Oh my if God. You have, if you have to, if you have to name drop a few, just for you, Christy, we'll allow it. <laughs> okay. So there was, I think it was like 2013 or 14 at the Englert. There was a show that came through called The Cabinet of Wonders. And it was just this rando, completely like, it felt like their bus came through town and they were like, is there anywhere to perform? Let's perform here. You know, like it was such a like hodgepodge and it was so good. I don't know how I got a ticket. I don't remember. Like, cause I normally, I'm not a big, like, I don't go to a lot of music shows. And so I was like, mm -hmm. I go to a lot of theater, but not a lot of music. And so I was like, I don't know. I'm, yeah, sure. I'll go. And it was so great. And there, it had music and there was a comedian and like, there was just all this stuff happening in the show. And it was, it was literally like, I don't know, like this band of performers just kind of out there. It almost felt like sort of, I must say it again, medieval. Cause it was like just this group <laughs> of people that decided like, let's make some entertainment. It was beautiful. It was really, really cool. So I loved that show. What do you think, what do you think really, um, do you think it was like sort of the spontaneity of not knowing what was going to happen or like the variety of variety of things that did happen or what was it that really hit it home for you? Um, I think that it was a country singer and I had never heard him before and I forgot his name. I'm such a bad person. I should look this up. <laughs> oh, but like he, the, the heart with which he sang, I, it was like, you don't need the microphone because he's his voice is so beautiful that it is speaking to like the resonance is coming into my own blood and bones and resonating for me. Like it was just wow. absolutely wonderful. And then to have this variety, this like weird like ebb and flow in the show. So there's like the singer and then there's a comedian that comes on and tells a joke. It was like vaudeville or something. Like it was yeah. just wonderful. And I was like, every show should be like this. I wanted to see multiple things 
I want to see all kinds of things. It was just wonderful. It was so good. But one thing that I've been curious about is like I have I'm teaching arts and performance this semester, which is also cross-listed in dance. And so I have a number of dancers and yeah. they are they're so they're all super innovative coming up with ways to do all of their schoolwork in a dorm room like it's amazing but also they're into these like uh world of dance shows and dance competition shows and it feels like there's this renaissance of like couples dancing and dance crews and groups of dancers Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering about like could vaudeville be a thing in the future? Because like comedy renaissance, dance renaissance, like we could have shows that contain all those elements that would just be so super fun to watch. Like I, yeah. I would buy tickets to that. I would have fun. Well, I guess, that's, I guess that's kind of what like America's Got Talent, those kinds of shows are, which those are definitely, I don't know about as much now, but I mean, those have definitely definitely been huge in the last decade yeah. or so. So I guess it just keeps reiterating mm-hmm. itself in new ways. Um, but as far as the, the, you know, the Ingler to bigger theater, are there certain kinds of theaters or level levels of production that you're more drawn to? Are you more drawn to like intimate shows or, you know, big hancher all out productions? What's yeah, your you go to? I I think it just kind of depends. It's really, I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about Iowa City is that there's so many talented people living here who have studied their craft and really worked hard at it. And they're working in like the community theater, you know, because like another theater mm-hmm. that I could mention another show that I adored was Clybourne Park at Theater Cedar Rapids. And it was probably like six years ago, I think. And it was in the basement theater. And I wasn't, I, you know, the, the show has some like, like problematic things in the text, I think. And I was like, I'm not, I'm kind of ready for, you know, okay, sure. And I was, by the end of act one, I was weeping. Like I did Mm -hmm. not expect it to be like, I just, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen, like in the corridor, I think one of the best shows I've ever seen. And you know, and theater Cedar Rapids is they are, their mission is we create community theater This is just for people that are, you know, amateur that just want to make some theater. And I'm like, well, you're better than the professionals because like, holy (laughs) man, that show was amazing. So I, you know, I mean, that's why I'm like, go to everything. You just never know. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way. I mean, you you always are going to get like if you're really trying to to experience something new, see something new, you know, you kind of got to like expand your horizons and go go see a lot of things even if you don't think you'll like it even if you end up thinking it was the worst thing ever or maybe you end up it's almost like a 50 50 chance yeah most of the time i just find a theater yummy i don't care (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's so fun to watch you know i mean even knowing what i know because like you know for a while like it's like okay well now i know how the sausage is made and so like i'm watching all the little Mm. details and stuff like that but i still get lost in it i still completely you know just get consumed by the story and get emotionally wrapped up i i just love theater so yeah yeah that's something i think from I don't know. It's something I worried about. Like when I started producing my own music and like learning the interest intricacies of, of technically producing and 
you know, mixing whatever music. At first, I was a little bit afraid of like, okay, am I going to be, now that I actually know what this stuff means, <laughs> am I going to be overly critical or like just overly <laughs> analytical when I'm like consuming music now? That was kind of just a worry that I had. But I've found that that isn't the case. And like truly transformational, um, you know, performances just, uh, you know, they go beyond the technical and analytical and just in getting everything right. And they go into something that's mm, spiritual. I think so too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, honestly, this is what I teach. I teach um, this thing called the second circle, Patsy Rodenberg. She's a voice teacher and, and she also teaches about how to, um, how to maintain your presence in the world, basically, when like, mm. if you're, like, you know, people are telling you to shut up, or you have to be too much, like, how do you maintain your presence? And really, the basis of the work, I think, is curiosity, and just staying curious about anything, and not necessarily buying into everything and not, you know, being mm. a nut job, but just staying curious, and you're going to you're going to be an interested person and an interesting person. And you're going to find things you didn't expect if you just stay curious about the world and about other people. You know, when you lose your curiosity, I feel like that's when bitterness can start to creep in. And then like you sort of get an attitude about music and about theater and about just mm. life in general. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. if you can maintain that genuine curiosity, then you're probably on the right track. That's my thinking. Right on. I, I, I think you're right. <laughs> well, Christy, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you. Um, if, if people want to support you or the theaters that you're a part of or the groups you're a part of, is there a good way for them to do that? Well, I think everybody should become a river dog at riversidetheater.org. Um, there's lots and lots of plays still being produced. Um, it's usually online stuff right now to, in order to keep you safe, but we're going to be doing some site specific stuff. If it gets safe next year, there's going to be all kinds of things. It's a fantastic organization. Um, their mission is to employ artists and keep the arts alive in Iowa City. They're a fantastic organization. So mm -hmm. I say everybody become a river dog or at least go see the next show. But if you can get a season subscription, that's my thing. Awesome. Yeah. All right. You heard it here. First folks become a <laughs> river dog. Stay curious. Christy, thank you again. Thanks, Ellie. Have a good day. Our Song of the Week brings together three Iowa musicians for a truly elite collaboration. Sleepwalk features the trio of Keegan Consort, Nick Wilkins, and Siegfried. It's a little bit psychedelic, a lot of bit melodic, and highly likely to get you waltzing around your living room. Find the song wherever you stream music and definitely give them a follow on social media because they've got big things coming. Here it is, Sleepwalk by Keegan Consort, Nick Wilkins, and Siegfried.
everything we've never seen To remember the way that they end The way that they end Never used to have to take a melatonin Now I close my eyes and know I'm tossing, turning And you're by my side, I wonder what you're thinking Feel the ship is sinking, won't say what I'm thinking I don't wanna have to take another nap I don't wanna have to say what's under wraps Please
This episode is supported in part by New Pioneer Food Co-op, your source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries open 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. with senior shopping hour from 9 to 10 a.m. seven days a week. You can also shop online for no-contact curbside pickup through the co-op cart at newpi.coop. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit englert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.